Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We exist to become witnesses to God's new creation so that every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus. We believe that as a family of servant missionaries, we are empowered to participate in God's story because of the good news that King Jesus is making all things new. This week, we begin a new teaching series simply titled The Church, Life Together in and for Jesus. Every culture has a story. In the midst of opposing cultures, Dr. Scott Osborne explores why the church must be a story for people to truly live out our identity. Well, good morning. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, and to begin this new year, Nate and I are going to walk through a, a series with you called The Church. And specifically looking at it in this vein, life together in and for Jesus. Life together in and for Jesus. Uh, One of the things I think we struggle with as a church, not just who we are as redemption, but even moving outward into the church at large in America, is we have a massive identity crisis. Okay, so maybe you're not like me, middle-aged and ready to buy a motorcycle. Go see Mike. But we are in the middle of an identity crisis. In one sense, we're always trying to figure out who we are as a person. We're always trying to figure out who we are as a people. And I think, by and large, the church is in the midst of an identity crisis. We don't know what the church is. So what is the church? Why does the church exist? For whom does the church exist? Who leads the church? Who's qualified to lead the church? And the people who are leading the church, where are they actually leading towards? What is the movement that they're moving or directing or moving people towards? How should the church operate? How does each person in the church play their role? What role do they actually have? Why does the church eat a small piece of bread and drink a small cup of juice once a month? And so we want to walk in through this this topic of what is the church? Why do we actually exist? Why do we meet together? What What is our function? And with that, we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 3 and start in verse 2. Paul, writing to a church in Ephesus, says this, that he started. He says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Okay, A mystery here is not something you're trying to put all Paul's puzzle pieces together and understand what he's saying. What Paul is saying with the mystery is that in the Old Testament, there was this veil. There was like this this thing you couldn't quite see through what was happening. And he says, now that Jesus is here, the light bulb has gone off. Everything has been made clear. So verse 5, it says, this was not made known to the people in the previous generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. And what is this? Truth that was not made known, that is now through Jesus clearly seen. Look at verse 6. This is the mystery that through the gospel the Gentiles 
are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. What is the mystery, church? According to verse 6. You can answer that out loud. Jews and Gentiles come together and now share in all the promises that God had, all for the nation of Israel, are now being shared with who? You and me. This is the mystery. And the, and the, the, the union, the, the bringing together of Jew and Gentile into sharing all the promises of God, this is what Paul calls the church. He says, I become a servant, verse 7, by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. And although I am less in the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery for which ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. And His intent was that now, through the church... The manifold, the the amazing wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers, the authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. This morning I want to talk to you introductory, in in an introductory way, about this mystery, about the Jew and the Gentile coming together. And Paul's beginning uh, understanding, his initial understanding of what the church actually was. And so, in a few moments, I'm going to diagnose what I think is a significant issue in the church, and then address that issue by giving for us a proper, a, 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 I shouldn't say proper, by giving us a definition, a working definition of the church. So, Father, help us as we jump into this this morning that you would Help us as a people to take stock of what we're doing with our lives, because our lives are significant. Life, the life that we have, the breath that we are breathing is valuable. And so help us to be people who learn how to steward that life and to take up our role in God's story. Because God, I want Redemption Church, I want my life, I want our life together in Jesus and for Jesus to count, to have meaning. Because in it we will find joy, we will find what we are deeply longing for. So God, over these next few weeks together, open our hearts, may the Spirit bring about a, a a conviction, a change, a renewal, wherever we are in this journey, God, that we would be people who continue this year to live out what it means to be your people. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple months ago, I did a sermon called Come and Die, where I listed all the statistical problems in the church. Statistically, it's declining There's not enough churches to actually keep up with the population growth. In fact, the number of churches continually is shrinking. Young adults are leaving the faith in droves. And we listed all of these particular issues statistically. 
But I think another problem with the church that we need to address, and this is not about them, this is about us. Does that make sense? Like, don't, don't hear me say we got it right. No, this is something that we as a church need to do business with. And the church has consciously or subconsciously colluded with the powers of this world. And in many ways, we have to come to embrace that the Christendom, the Christian nation, the Christian project, however you de- define that, has been relegated and is dead. And God is now viewed by our nation, by our people, by our contemporaries, as either unnecessary or ineffective. So this whole idea of Christendom and and America being this Christian nation, we live in a post-Christian nation. And I think we just need to do business with that. And in the midst of all of this, the church has become a vendor of religious goods and services. The church has become a vendor, a seller a, 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 in the market of producing goods and services. This idea of, of the church becoming a vendor, we attach ideas of the language within the church of production and marketing and sales and consumption. A congregation, a local congregation becomes nothing more than a retail outlet or a franchise of the existing denominational brand or network or family of churches. Staffs at churches in all levels become nothing more than services service representatives. The denomination is the corporate headquarters in charge of everything, including research and developments to mass media imaging. The church has embraced this idea of becoming a distributor, a business that is in the business of selling religious, spiritual goods and services. And churches often betray their own belief system in this way, when they conduct or create their own mission statements. So churches will say things like this, this church exists to nourish its members to love God, love each other, and love the world. That's the most generic mission statement, and it's not a bad one, but I just chose a generic one. The church exists to nourish its members to love God, love each other, and love the world. How many think that's a good idea? Like, we'd all be like, yeah, it sounds good, right? It sounds great. The problem with this, when you hear me say the church exists to nourish its members, I ask the question, what does the word church mean in this definition? And what does members mean in this definition? In this definition, the church exists to nourish its members. The church and the members are actually set against one another. The church, the leadership, the institution exists for the members. The members are not conceived in such a way, in a statement like this, as being the church and themselves having a corporate mission in which they have been collectively sent by Jesus. Instead, they are the customers, the regular consumers for who the religious services and goods produced by the church are intended. On such a model, evangelism devolves into membership recruitment, which may be more accurately described as capturing the market share. This kind of church is in the business of religion and its livelihood is dependent on having a sufficient number of satisfied, committed customers. 
This is why churches have so many programs. They need a program for each group type of people, every age, every thing you can think of in order to accommodate and grow their church. I mean, how can a church grow that doesn't have a youth group? How can a church grow that doesn't have a young adults ministry? How can a church grow that does not have a young marriage group? How can a church grow if it doesn't have an amazing kids program? How can a church grow if it doesn't have a senior ministry? Or how can a church grow if it doesn't have a top-notch music industry? Or we could just keep going on and on and on. And in all of this, the church becomes nothing more than sellers of religious goods for people. They're continually trying to get better and better programs to capture more and more people. And in all of this, we do it in the guise of selling the gospel. Moreover, why do Christians choose churches? They choose them over and over again based on the religious goods and services that the church offers them. You're young and lonely? Let's find the church with the best young adult program so I can get married. Kids are straying from the faith. We need to find a church with the best youth group to meet their needs. We go on and on, but of course, in all of this, we assuage our consciences, we appease our consciences with the idea that this church has good this, or this church has good this. The pastor is an amazing preacher, but the church is nothing more than a vendor that is accommodating the needs that we are buying and selling as a people. And why is the church this way? The church is this way because of the underlying cultural story that you and I buy into. I'm all for an open market economy, okay? I'm not going to go into all that, but this is just for the sake of my, uh, my examples right here where comp- you know, companies compete for one another. But if you and I need technology, we need a computer, what do we do? We find the vendor that meets my needs, my expectations, my price budget, and one that will match my cultural status symbol, which is why we all buy Apple. We need clothes. What do we do? We find a vendor that matches my style, my economic level, my status symbol. We need tacos. What do we do? We find a vendor that matches my taste, my wallet, and my convenience. Like, I know where there's great tacos, but they're really far away. So you know what I'll do? I'll go to Burrito Perdido instead because it's convenience. We need a soccer club for my kids. We find one that meets my level of expectation, cost, how much exposure will be available to them for colleges, and on and on and on and on it goes. So you need technology, you need clothes, you need tacos, you need soccer, you do all of that. So why would we do anything different when we need a church? We choose a church that meets my needs, my conveniences, and services it can offer me. We do this in every arena of life. And to stop and say we do something different when we choose churches is nonsense. It's nonsense. Why would we do anything different than what we do in every other arena of life? Why? Because the underlying cultural story that you and I swim in every single day of our life is called individual consumerism. It is all about you and you consuming as much as you can. This is the culture we live in. And we would be dumb to say right here at Redemption Church that that is not something that is in us. 
that's not in me, that I'm a, a pastor who's trying to lead you out of that story of individual consumerism and into a different story, but it's there. And I ask the question, what are you and I doing to combat that story? And we're not the only people in the Bible who have to combat a story that we live in. Elijah on Mount Carmel makes this cry. On the slide it says this, How long will you waver between two opinions? If Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. See, these weren't just two gods you bow and worship. They're actually two competing ways of life, two different stories that you would actually that you would actually choose. And Elijah's saying, choose this day. Because you can't choose both. I would summarize it this way for us in the 21st century. Choose this day who you will serve. If Jesus is Lord, serve him. If the American dream is Lord, choose him. Choose this day what story you really want to live out in hope and finding meaning and satisfaction. If the gospel is that story, embrace it. And if it's the individual consumeristic story, then embrace it. It's frankly hard to conceive the reactions that the early New Testament Christians would have if they walked in and saw the American church today. It's thoroughly foreign to the New Testament understandings of the nature and the style of the church's presence in the communities of that time to be like what they are today. See, in the early church, when we read the book of Acts, they were living, breathing communities grasped by the story, the news, that the light and the salvation of God in the person of Jesus by His Spirit has come into the world. And as a consequence, everything about their life changed. They represented to the world the news that had seized them. They weren't looking for religious customers. They gave the gospel away to people who are spiritually hungry and thirsty. See, they lived out a different story than the story the surrounding culture told them who they were. On the next slide, here's what I want us to think through. Stories matter. Stories matter because they determine your identity. They tell you who you are. And out of your identity come your actions or your mission. So that stories determine identities and identities determine actions. And if all you want to do this year in 2022 is change and be a better Christian, and you just change the very top, the mission, the actions, but you don't change the, the identity or the story, is anything really going to change in your life? Parents, of course we want our kids to obey. But if you don't change the underlying story that they are actually believing and hearing through every social media and everywhere they go, you don't change their story, you're not changing them. You need to adopt a story, a new story, to actually change your way of life. And this is why the Bible is written in a story. Because God is calling you to live out the true story, the public story, that is true for the whole world. It's not true just for you and me. This is truth for everyone. 
So I ask some questions on the next slide. We're going to do something very awkward and very strange, and half of you are going to hate me, and half of you are going to like me. And at the end of the day, it's okay. I like all of you anyways. I want you to talk to your neighbor and answer these questions. These questions are, what does our culture tell us about what is wrong with the world and what will fix it? What does our culture tell us about where meaning is found? What does culture tell us about the significance of relationships? And in light of that, what does our cultural tell us about what we should do to those who wrong us? Someone, all you uh, extrovert eights out there, your Ds, and all of you people who are Es on your Myers-Briggs, you can talk. Um, there's, there's not necessarily just one right answer either. But what, is, what does our culture tell us about what's wrong in the world and what will fix it? It's unfair. Okay, and what will fix the fairness? Government, politics. Good. We're, this is, and we're stopping there. Does that make sense? We're not going any further. All right? Um, what else? What's wrong with the world and what will fix it? Yeah. Yep. Lies in truth? Yes. Good. What else? Social injustice. Social injustice. I'm surprised no one has said the Democrats or the Republican are the issues. Both. <laughs> All right. Or, yeah. You're dismissed. <laughs> Where does our cultural story tell us meaning is found? Possessions, who we are. Yeah. Acceptance of our peers. Right team. Mm -hmm. Winning your fantasy football league. Where is our culture, what does our culture tell us about the significance and meaning of relationships? That they're disposable. They're disposable. They're there to serve you. And what does our cultural story tell us about those who wrong us? Cancel us. <laughs> You're right. But we Christians wouldn't cancel other Christians, right? <laughs> See, sometimes you just have to stop and see that the cultural story that we have been swimming in for every moment of your life is shaping you. You can't say I'm a Christian and it doesn't. We fight against this cultural nerve. This is why spiritual disciplines, like when we do fasting and, and we do all these things, it is not just to do them for goodness sake. It is actually to, to combat and move against the story that we have already bought into. 
Like, you may not know this, but for example, you might just stay home and not hang out with people because it's easier. And you know why you do that? It's because that's the story you bought into. So why do you have to get out of your house and move your butt and your family to somewhere? It's because you're actually wanting to combat a wrong narrative. You actually have to do that. And in all of this, we as a people, we as a church, need to start moving in a direction this year more and more. We're all at different places. Out of this story and become who God has made us in his story. And who are we in that story? We are the church. And this working definition of the church is what we're going to be using for the rest of this series until someone gives me a better one next week. Maybe this week they'll give it to me. That's why it's working. But I want to lay a foundation of what the church is, the identity of it. Next week, step back and look at the story. And then in the third week, look at the actions. Okay, so I don't know if you caught that. We're going to start in the middle with the identity. Who is the church? And I'm going to show you next week from the story where we get that identity. And then we're going to move into the actions. So what is the church? Here's my working definition of the church. The church is the people of God who, in the midst of the overlap of the ages, are empowered by the Spirit to be witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. Who is the church? They're the people of God who in the midst of the overlap of the ages, isn't that amazing? I love when Nate teaches our kids the overlap of the ages. Our kids are like, (laughs) which is good for them to see what time it is in God's story. The time is the overlap of the ages. And we as a people are empowered by the Spirit to be witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. Look in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6. Number one, the church is a people. I could Each one of these is a sermon, a whole sermon series. I'm going to give like short caveats to each one of these. Number one, the church is a people. The mystery of the church is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Paul says that the church is composed of Jews and Gentiles who now together share in all the new covenant promises of Jesus. The people who make up the church are all of those who are in Christ, to those who belong to Christ, to those who have given by faith their allegiance and their lives to Jesus. The church is a people. And notice something that Paul says about these people. What's the word three times in this verse? They are heirs what, church? Together. Members. Together. Sharers. Together. This means that the starting place that we view ourselves is not individuals. The starting place we view ourselves is in the midst of a community. Who are you? You don't start with yourself. 
You start with the communal aspect. We are the church. Now, in no way does that deny or minimize the individual side of it. We all have an individual accountability before God. We all have individual gifts and roles to play in that. But I I think way too often we think of ourselves as these individuals who go to a church. We're like individuals who go to a group and then we come back home and we're individuals again. As opposed to thinking, no, I belong to the church... And since I can't be with them all the time, every day of my life, I have a job, I leave, I become an individual, but I always come back to what? I belong together with all of God's people. And that mindset changes everything. Are you an individual who decides to go to church and be a part of the church, and then when you leave, you get to come home and do whatever you want? Or does the story of God actually say, no, you have been called and elected and chosen to be part of God's family, and that's who you are? See, we have this battle, this individual consumeristic mindset that we belong together. We are a people It also means this, that the church is not a time, place, or event. Just as churches, when they craft their own mission statements, betray what they think the church is, we, in our own language, our own vocabulary, betray what the church is. Now, there's no, like, curse jar in the back, okay? I'm not going to yell at you if you ask me where, you know, people ask me, where is your church? You know, I don't say everywhere I go, okay? Like... I want to. What time is your church? I didn't know I stopped being the church. Like, I want to be that sarcastic jerk. But we have so relativized church to a time, place, or event that we don't even stop to think that we are the church every day, everywhere we go. We are the church. You don't stop being the church. The church gathers. The church meets. The church does activities. And again, I'm not, I, I just, language means something. Does that make sense? Like it forms and shapes how we think and view the world. And so we even betray our own minds and our own thinking when we start regularly just thinking church is this activity, this event. But no, Paul says, number one, the church is a people. It's the Jew and Gentiles who together make up the church. Number two, the church exists in a certain time within God's overall storyline. Look at verse 10. He says this, His intent was that now. (laughs) His intent was that now. I know it's a very strange word, but it has lots of meaning. Because God's intent in Ephesians 3 verse 10, now is different than His intent was back in Exodus 19. What we see in Ephesians 3 is the culmination and the bringing to fulfillment of what Exodus 19 was all about. So that there is now a new time, a new era has dawned. Something new is going on. God's story, when the gospel came, something changed in it. And Paul says, that time is now. And just so we're all clear on this, 
Paul says in 1 Timothy 4 and 2 Timothy 4 that when Jesus Christ walked out of the grave, the last days began. The last days didn't begin with a book series. The last days didn't begin when a temple curtain was being sewn together. The last days began when Jesus walked out of the grave so that now in the resurrection of Jesus, there is a time period in which the church exists. And if the church doesn't even know what time it lives in, how can it actually be what it's supposed to be? So that, I like to say this, it's not so much that the church has a mission, as it is the mission has a church. Okay, that's confusing and wordy. Yes, but think of it this way. We're not looking, Redemption Church is not looking for its mission. Jesus has you and me for his mission. And if we don't know what Jesus' mission is, then what the heck are we doing? And if we don't know the story in which we've been called to participate, then how do we know how to play our role? How can the church take up its role in the unfolding drama if they don't even know the story in which they've been called to participate? And not to be mean, but if if I were to ask you where are the streets of gold located, and I've never asked you that question before, not where do 99.9% of people believe the streets of gold are located, church? Heaven. You know what that betrays? You don't know your story. Heaven is not where the streets of gold are. All you got to do is read your Bible. It says, and God made a brand new heaven and a brand new earth, and on that earth was a street of gold. Like, you don't even know the end of your story, which means you don't know the beginning of your story, which means you have no idea how to play your role in the middle of that story. And if the church is going to be the people of God in this age, we actually have to know where we fit in what God is actually doing in the world. Number three, the church is empowered by His Spirit for His mission. Look in verses 14 through 17. Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, and I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul prays that the church will be strengthened with the power of the Spirit. If I were to say of these four points Redemption Church needs to grow in this year, it is understanding the presence and the power of the Spirit in our lives. To hear the Spirit, to know the Spirit, to fellowship with the Spirit, to actually see that the Spirit is a third person of the Trinity. And we need to see that the Spirit of God, this is interesting, and I thought this a couple years ago, and it just shocked me. And it's, it's not a bad thing, it's just interesting to me. We spend so much time of our Christian life focusing on God sending Jesus, right? And Jesus came to the earth for how many years? 33. So God the Father sent Jesus to the earth for 33 years. God the Father and God the Son also sent God the Holy Spirit. And how long has he been with us? 2,000 years? It's interesting. It's not to deny anything about Jesus. The Spirit was given to show Jesus, to make much of Jesus. But to see that the Father 
and the Son have sent the Spirit and He's been with the church, in the church, for 2,000 years means maybe we should take stock of this as a significant event. Number four, the church exists as a family of missionaries who witness to Jesus' resurrection. This is for next week, so don't think I'm going there. But I didn't. Next week, we're going to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But what I want us to see is that we are a people who witness to Jesus' resurrection. In all that we do, in all that we say, in all that we are, we are people who, in word and deed, give witness that Jesus walked out of the grave. What does that mean? We'll come back next week. Father, help us as we, over the next few weeks, delve a little bit more into who the church is. That the Spirit of God would empower us to walk in this story more and more. Help us be people who structure and organize our lives together that actually make sense of what Jesus actually did. Help the way that we organize and structure our lives together this year actually be a light that shows the new world that has dawned in Jesus to people who want that world. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. To learn more about our kingdom ministry located in Chesapeake, Virginia, visit weareredemption.org 